Music radio program directors played an enormous role in designing the sound and image of the individual stations that they managed. They were considered artistes. Many of them ascended to legendary status within the industry as mysterious figures who were tapped into the zeitgeist of their target audiences and popular culture through an almost mystical combination of research, golden ears, their own individually brewed secret sauce, and keen insights into ratings methodology. You had people like Ron Jacobs at KHJ in Los Angeles and Rick Sklar at WABC in New York. There were many, too numerous to list here. In a number of cases, they rose to national prominence and became group PDs or consultants, and their names became identified with their formats, and when successful, their format spread from station to station, such as Bill Drake and his Drake stations, bum ba bum 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 and Lee Abrams with his Superstars album format. One colorful character of that time was a fellow named Buzz Bennett, whose format was called the Q format because it first gained success at KCBQ in San Diego. It was sort of like the Drake format, only a bit tighter and crazier. Music radio program directors had a cachet about them. They were sort of like movie directors, dare I say, geniuses, such as Federico Fellini or Stanley Kubrick. Although I doubt that Francis Ford Coppola or John Frankenheimer or Billy Wilder would have appreciated it if the studios for whom they worked changed their titles to brand manager. These program directors were Einsteinian, or so they seemed, thinking deeply to unlock secrets of attracting listeners and keeping them glued to the radio for as many quarter hours as they possibly could, arriving at revelations about equations, pondering the cultural images of artists, analyzing what day parts the record sounded best suited for, needle-dropping album tracks to pick a group's next big hit, determining the tightness or looseness of playlists, and calculating the optimum number of rotations a song should be played per day on the air. And of course, there were the catchphrases such as W.A. Beatles C that they meticulously designed to infiltrate the psyches of their listeners and ensnare them in true mind control. And yes, they directed the talent of their DJs, which in many cases included six live and local full-timers who each did four-hour shows that spanned the clock and a handful of weekend part-timers as well. PDs were a big deal in the music radio business. Not that they aren't a big deal now. They're just not as big a deal as they were back in the day. Which brings us to the subject of this podcast. I caught up with one such programmer, one of my old radio buddies, who had a significant impact as a designer of music stations for many decades in the second half of the 20th century. He programmed major stations around the country from Boston to Los Angeles in genres that included top 40, album-oriented rock, classic rock, smooth jazz, and country. And he had some really big successes in cities of all sizes. He was one of the most prolific music radio program directors in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and continued working beyond that as a consultant. 
But eventually, he crossfaded into a new career, that of a voice actor. And he's done okay in that arena. But the itch to get back into music radio programming began creeping to the forefront of his mind. The need to create a new music radio format to fill an obvious vacuum began calling to him. The vacuum of which I speak is the same generation that this man spent his career programming for. The Baby Boomers, a gigantic generation that is now largely ignored by music radio stations and advertising agency radio buys here in the tail end of the second decade of the 21st century. So he designed a new format for older people called the Wow Factor, and he's out there promoting it to today's prevailing radio companies, large, medium, and small, and anybody in the business who will listen to him, which is in itself an old-school process set against the backdrop of how today's mega-corporate radio groups do business. Hey, I hope he is successful. Stand by for a really deep dive into the subject of audience demographics and the problem today's radio seems to be having with efficiently and effectively serving the former youth culture that is now our nation's older generation. In radio terms, we're talking 55 to 72. Our guest is legendary music radio programmer John Sebastian. Welcome to the Michael Harrison Interview, the weekly podcast from Podcast One for media freaks, pop culture aficionados, political junkies, and the philosophically curious. Thank you for downloading this program from Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, and the Podcast One app, and for following our Tuesday tweets announcing the names of our weekly guests. To sign up, it's at MH Interview. I can be reached directly via email at michaelattalkers.com. If you find this show to be of interest and value, please subscribe to it as well as giving it a positive five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We'll dive right into our conversation with John Sebastian about radio and its tendency to squander underserved demographic opportunities. But first, a real quick programming reminder. If you like this show, you're going to love the Laura Ingram Show podcast on Podcast One. Join Laura as she takes on politics and pop culture with some hard-hitting guests and takes your calls. Download the Laura Ingram Show podcast every week on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Okay, here we go. An uninterrupted conversation with music radio architect John Sebastian. When I get older, losing my head Many years from now Will you still be sending me a valentine? Birthday greetings, bottle of wine If I'd been out till quarter to three Would you lock the door? Will you still need me? Will you still feed me? When I'm sixty-four how do you think our generation's tastes have changed as listeners to the radio? I think that uh, we've lost some of our idealism. Uh, we've put up with certain things that we wouldn't have put up back then. Um, musically, uh, I actually submit that perhaps we haven't changed that much musically. But uh, certainly from a psychological standpoint, a philosophical standpoint, I think we've changed quite a bit. Does that impact how one would approach programming radio to uh, what you describe as the 55 to 72-year-old target um, in terms of um, the philosophy, the ideology, the, the experience in life that um, people have uh, accrued? 
Well, I've kind of taken the tact that um, I'm putting the idealism uh, changes aside, the philosophical changes aside, for the most part, and I've just said to myself, I know down deep this group still loves the same music that they've been through during, and you, you put it so perfectly, the different age groups that, that we've all gone through, and in my case, and perhaps yours too, I literally, every time I've programmed a station, and I've thought of this in retrospect, every time I've programmed a, a format, it's been to the baby boomers, all, right up through the, through the uh, demographics that you just described. Yeah, it's funny. I remember um, back in the in, in the day. I, I love that expression. Back in the day, when um, I was in the demographic that I was uh, targeting, and that was uh, it was eighteen to twenty four. That was the the early yeah. FM underground progressive rock days. It was eighteen to twenty four, and I was um, I became a PD at about. Uh, 20 years old at that time. So I was right in the middle of it. And then uh, there almost uh, it seems to have been like, let's up the demo as we got older, because growing out of the demo was traumatic. Do you remember people would say, I'm, I'm older than the demo now? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did that several times. Yeah. And, and, and the 35-year uh, point was like really, really traumatic, because it was 18 to 34 for years. And I remember when I turned 35, and a, a lot of my colleagues in the business turned 35. They, it was like, oh my gosh, we've got to up the demo rather than continue to program backwards to kids and, and let our own generation grow with us. The baby boomers kept programming to themselves. And at a time when they were also in control to a large part of the companies that owned radio stations, uh, do you recall that parallel that uh, not only were the boomers becoming big societally, but in the industry, they were gaining power? Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it felt like there was a serendipity to the whole thing. Uh, unlike today, uh, there was a serendipitous feeling to the whole uh, radio and music um, symmetry. Um, that's kind of the genesis of some of my thought process on, on this new format I've created. Mm -hmm. And by the way, luckily, ironically, didn't think about it this way, I'm not... I'm not being hypothetical. I'm, I'm saying that literally, when I first started in radio, just like you, I was in the 18 to 24 demo doing top 40. Then I was, when I did AOR, the term that you coined, uh, when, I, when I was doing that, it was literally 18 to 34. Uh, then I was doing uh, smooth jazz when it was 35 to 44. I was doing classic rock when it was 35 to 54, if you will. Mm -hmm. And now I'm doing this format where it's 55 plus. Um, so it's it, it seems like the logical um, progression for me. Yeah, well, it it, it is an interesting uh, phenomenon of how how that goes because um, it's a matter of whether you are targeting if you specialize in a demo age, like you're a third grade teacher. Well, every year it's different third graders, but you're always teaching third grade. You don't follow the same kids to fourth grade, to fifth grade, to sixth grade, to seventh grade, and and you change right. you change the curriculum with the changes of information, the changes of culture, of history, and the generational changes. But you're still aiming at that target. Uh, with the boomer programmers, a lot of them just kept staying with the boomers, and then all of a sudden the agencies pull the rug out from everybody. And uh, only want young people, and that which was once the 
the sweet spot, the same actual bodies, the same actual eardrums, you know, the same people suddenly became undesirable to the agencies and the uh, the new breed of corporate radio and, and new programmers and new managers and owners started to go after the agency bucks, which asked for younger demos. And all these people that grew up listening to radio and basically were catered to uh, pop culturally since they were preteens, I mean, all the way back into the 50s when, when kids ruled yeah. the world, suddenly are out in the cold. Have I got it right? I think that's right on the money. Um, I think it probably speaks, not to get too psychological and philosophical, but I think that probably speaks to some of the disenchantment with, with older people these days uh, all across our society in that they grew up being the ones, <laughs> the people. And now they're, like you say, kind of left out in the cold and forgotten to some extent. I think about David Bowie um, saying uh, in that line in Changes, look out, you rock and rollers, someday you're going to get older. I mean, that was so prescient. Look out, you rock and rollers, someday you're going to get older. The, uh, the whole amazing thing about the, the baby boomers was that its cultural roots were based on youth, Rebellion. It was called, yeah. if you recall, it was called the youth culture. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. so, I, I mean, you, see, you have to set, sort of set the background. If you're gonna, when you have a conversation like we're having now about, you know, getting, you know, like a deep dive into why are older people who have all the affluence and the money and, and they're still alive and vital – and only to be replaced by new old people. We'll get into that in a moment. I mean, there'll always be old people. As a matter of fact, there'll be more old people than ever. Uh, why yeah. they're suddenly not a target of uh, economic communications and, and advertising agencies. And a lot of money is being left on the table because, uh, you know, um, soap companies don't want to uh, reach out to them through popular uh, media. Uh, one of the things I want to ask you, uh, one of the first things I asked you in this conversation was how do you think that the boomers' tastes have changed? Uh, and you said you don't think that their taste in music has changed that much. Maybe their ideals have. Well, if you think about the taste in music, I recall we were very, very concerned about what kind of boomers we were playing to. That even back in the 18 to 24 and 18 to 34 days or 25 to 54 days, that you could not make a statement that all boomers were hippies or that all boomers liked a album rock or that all boomers liked anything. There was a diversity among boomers. There were the there were the ROTC kids at college, and then there were the ones that were members of the, uh, you know, uh, Students for a Democratic Society. This, this The same left-right schism existed then, and so, so did a schism between pop music fans, top 40 fans. And uh, album rock fans, and even you did AOR, even within the album rock fans, there were schisms between those that wanted real obscure underground music and those that liked the hits. So my feeling is, and I'd like your reaction to this, and then I want to talk about your ideas for a new format. But uh, my thought is, is that today, now that they don't have the same peer pressure and so much of their um, image among their peers is defined by the T-shirt they wear and the music they like, that the average boomer today is more accepting of that whole spectrum of music than they were when they were 18 or 20 or 25 years old. Does that make sense? You hit upon some really powerful things, some heavy things, is the vernacular of our, when we were 18 or 24. Yeah. Um, you've described the divide in our country. 
back then it was, are you into the Vietnam War or are you anti-Vietnam? And you can go on and on and on through, through our age groups, you know, through the times when we were different age groups. Um, and I think then secondly, this could be, again, not to get too heavy, uh, the format that I've created could very well be one of the things that brings people back together because um, the boomers have gone through a lot of different formats that they loved. They loved Top 40 at one time. They, Many of them loved AOR. Many of them loved classic rock. Many of them loved smooth jazz. Then at, at one point when they thought, uh, and I think correctly, that rock and Top 40 sort of lost their way, they got into country in the in the 90s with Garth Brooks, etc. So they've been through a lot of different formats and a lot of different music, and that's opened up their minds to all kinds of music that they wouldn't have been into when they were 18 or 24. Yeah, and it makes it a lot easier now to, to program um, because, uh, and that's the sad part, that there's no place to program it. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. if, if anything, the um, the boomer generation or or what you describe now as a 55 to 72 year old target is easier to play to today because they're more accepting of everything from maybe Frank Sinatra to Led Zeppelin than they would be back in 1983 or 1975 when you can't play yeah. that. That's not hip. That guy's a sellout. That guy's a ripoff. You know, that's plastic music, man. That's bubble gum. I mean, we used to deal with all that stuff. Yeah. Well, they've lived a, a full life now, and they've been through so many different musical genres uh, that in that way, it's opened up their minds. So let's let's do a format that continues to open up their minds would be what I would say. Mm -hmm. It's interesting how uh, this does tie into a schism in our country that did not start with Donald Trump but goes all the way back, probably way past our uh, dates of birth, that if you study history, this left-right mm -hmm. thing has, it goes all, it actually goes all the way back to the Revolutionary War. It goes back to discussions about the, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and the Founding Fathers. Yes. There's always been it this. It certainly goes back to the Civil War, not to interrupt, but it, it absolutely goes back to the Civil War. That's a that's a real marking point, but you're probably right, back to the beginning of our country. Yeah, and, and, and I think that a knowledge of history, I, I really do believe a knowledge of history, whether it's real history of, of a country and, you know, uh, decades and centuries, or the history of popular music, I think it helps going forward to have that background um, in, go, in knowing where we're going and knowing how to deal with these targeting situations. So I find that my... Uh, my experience, my maturity helps me in my work. But the only I want to I want to do a disclaimer here. The only reason it helps me is because, by and large, I still see myself as somebody who's looking forward and interested in the new. And uh, how do you feel about that? Uh, having your new thing be something that is a new thing for older people. Where does that put you in terms of your self identity? Uh, being a man of the past, a man of the present, a man of the future, uh, a merchant of nostalgia. How, how, how is your psychology in terms of dealing with this, being a boomer yourself and suddenly not being the youth culture? Yeah. Well, because of my history of, of being in radio for more than 51 years now, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, I've, I've been, I, I know I'm unusual for a boomer, 
in that I think I'm a little more open-minded to to newer music, um, but not that dissimilar in that uh, I do like some of the new music, but I can't say I like nearly as much new music as I did in the in the heyday. Um, a little bit of my secret sauce here, I, I have included um, in my format mix um, some newer songs that I just find, find to be so fantastic, uh, so pervasive, that they deserve to be part of this. The, the misunderstanding that a lot of people have in, you know, I've been pretty secretive about the exact mix of this concept, um, the, the, the tendency is for people to think, well, he's just doing like an oldies format, just like we tried before. Uh, that's inaccurate. Uh, there's a lot more to it than that. It's, it's definitely a mix that has never been on commercial radio before. So, so uh, I'm correct in, in, in um, assuming that there is the jumping over and the straddling of categories that would have been considered to be prohibitive and uh, impassable back in the day in your new format now. Yeah, yeah, and I've been, uh, you know, I'll put up my hand and say I was one of the people guilty of that uh, during a lot of my career. I was, you know, very much into narrow, and here's the exact uh, age group, and here's the exact psychology, and that's all we're going to do, and we're not going to stray from that, and we're going to have this very tight playlist, and um, it worked to some degree. It worked pretty powerfully in some cases, but... um, as I think we'll get into, I've pretty much thrown all of that out the window because of the realities of uh, today's uh, listener, particularly 55 to 55 plus. I won't say just 55 to 72, although that is the core. But I think we're going to do very well younger and older than that because this is a mix that nobody else is playing on the radio and uh, will really stand out and truly be unique. So, uh, so you're keeping it um, basically under wraps in terms of the details of uh, which artists uh, are the power artists and which artists uh, are there that may not have been thought of as part of the mix. I mean, how secretive are you? I don't want to. I don't want to put you in a situation where you have to say I'm not going to tell you. But um, uh, how, how far how far can we go in discussing the parameters of what you consider to be music that would attract a 55 to 72 year old audience? Yeah, I'm prepared to go further with you, Mike, than I have with anyone else thus far, except for uh, a few people in uh, managing and operating positions that have signed an NDA, and then I've uh, been very, very specific. But uh, I'm I'm willing to go further than I have on the record uh, than anyone else, and, and you'll see when I start describing. These, okay, well, we'll, we'll circle we'll circle back to that in a moment. What what's yeah, uh, what's yeah. uh, funny is that uh, radio um, programming. I don't know if it's that much today as it was uh, uh, a number of years ago. People would be very, very, very protective of their secret formulas and their formats and their playlists. And, and a lot of it, I think, was just to, to create an image and scare their competition that there was some secret sauce, as you mentioned, or magical recipe, when in fact, everything yeah. that you do is on the air. There are no secrets in radio. It's like, oh, I, I, I can find out what you're playing by listening and writing it down. Well, it's, a, 
<laughs> it's only a secret until the first station is on the air. I realize that. I just don't want anybody to beat me to the punch. Uh, that's all. I don't think you, that's all it is. I don't think you have that problem. I think it's a hard enough challenge to get people to listen to this. And uh, it goes yeah. back. It goes back to the agency thing, doesn't it? I mean, I mean, what do you think are the obstacles to corporate radio today having such a, um, a preoccupation with programming to? Um, only young demos because I have nothing against programming young demos. My goodness, I'm, I support that no. completely. I think what you and I both agree on is that there's a giant vacuum uh, and and a lot of money to be made and a lot of ears to satisfy and a lot of listeners to keep around the radio dial by going for the older demos as well. There's certainly enough business. What do you think is the major problem? Do you think it's just the agencies and the local stations and, and the, the companies that own them don't want to go to the trouble of going around the agencies or educating the agencies. What's the story? Well, I think it's a, uh, probably a trifold issue. Um, I heard a stat recently that uh, the average ad agency is run by a 30-year-old, and the um, people in their agency that make a lot of the decisions is an average of 27. So I, I think they uh, have, a bit like we were when we were that age, uh, blinders on, thinking... Uh, this is what's hip, this is what's happening, it's our age group, and those older people, you know, they're really kind of, you know, on their way to dying, and and they're really not relevant anymore. Mm. And, of course, I can give you statistics that say just the opposite, you know, if I could quickly talk about a couple of them. Please. Uh, there's, 70, there's 75 million people that are boomers, uh, second, barely second only to millennials in the number of people in that demographic. Uh, they have more wealth than any other demo by a wide margin. They spend more money in retail by a huge margin, something like 46% to the second uh, largest demo, 20, 20-some percent. Um, they are the most loyal to radio still, while a lot of the younger demos are finding all these other technical ways to get their music and not supporting radio nearly as much, they have the potential to be more loyal, listen longer, have more TSL, have more QM than the other demos. Uh, this is the most desirable desirable demo that is being currently left out of the out of the out of the radio mix. I would think that um, another reason, aside from the fact that young people are um, in charge of the buys, but they do take their marching orders from their bosses who take their marching orders from the companies that are advertising and giving them money, um, is that there seems to be a preoccupation with um, younger uh, markets on the part of um, many of the advertisers as well. Uh, and um, I hear the same thing cited, that uh, why why promote people that are about to die who've already uh, are set in their ways? Um, let's yeah. go for the new people that will be customers for a long time. And uh, I don't know, but that, that to me is, is ludicrous uh, because uh, it goes back to what we talked about before. A third grade teacher doesn't retire when her third grade class uh, moves on. Uh, she teaches a new one. And they don't close high schools. That's a perfect analogy. Yeah, they don't close high schools because the 12th graders have graduated and went away. There's new 12th graders, and they're going to be new um, 55 to 72s. And you just adjust the format for the new people coming into the demo. I mean, does that not make sense? There's always going to be the opportunity to do radio for older people. Here's a further dichotomy in this. Uh, The Madison Avenue, the top Madison Avenue agency, 
already understand to some degree what I just described as the wealth and the potential for revenue from older people. It's just that they're putting all those advertisers on television. If you watch nighttime television, almost every major national ad is geared towards boomers. But they, I contend, part of the reason I've created the wow factor is my contention is that the reason they aren't putting it on radio is because there is no format that is exclusively aimed towards 55 to 72. So why would they when they can get more efficiency from putting it on television? Mm-hmm. So I mean, there so, are times when there are times when four or five or six commercials in a row are all geared towards uh, the upper demo, the older demo. How do you feel about the issue of young people coming back to radio? Um, some of the statistics uh, that are put out by rating services, et cetera, say more than ever, young people receive their music uh, discovery from radio, and radio is listened to by everybody. There's all kinds of numbers out there, some of which I raise my eyebrow at, some of which I believe. I do think it's changing, but I do think that anybody that has a kid or anybody that knows young people, either preteen, teenagers, or in their 20s and even into their early 30s, has to admit that radio is not the center of their uh, media input and cultural input as it was back when the boomers were the young uh, generation. And I think that radio does have a generational issue, that um, young people today are going elsewhere for um, their audio entertainment. Uh, Do you think there's a way, uh, just stepping out of this discussion about programming to boomers, that radio could get young people back? I take kind of a middle ground on this. Uh, Yes, there is a way to get them to come back to some extent, although, you know, they're they're more into new technology to Spotify and, and all the different various places you can get new music, uh, YouTube, etc. They're more into that than older people are, and that's just going to get more and more. But I don't, I don't go to the extreme of saying, and I've heard some pretty famous national pundits say, uh, there are no young people listening to radio. <laughs> And obviously that's not true, Mm -hmm. but it's also true that far fewer of them are listening to radio than before, despite um, some of the statistics we've seen from Nielsen, for example. I think part of that is Nielsen's new methodology, uh, the PPM, by, uh, by the fact that if you're in a room full of people in a restaurant and someone has one of the devices, you're going to pick up young people and old people and middle people and everybody that's in the room that can hear that station, not necessarily are they listening intentionally or closely, but that's still going to pick that up. So some of that could be the new methodology showing that, you know, they're accidentally still listening, Mm -hmm. but I don't think they're avidly listening as much as they did did before. But certainly it's somewhere in the middle, in my opinion. It's not that they're not listening at all, but they're certainly not listening more than they did years ago. One of the issues I find uh, in terms of the syndrome that you've described of um, uh, tertiary listening or um, collateral listening uh, or secondhand listening, like secondhand smoke, uh, is that we live in an era because of earbuds and because of people's 
private space and sensitivities and the ability for people to walk around in their own bubble of media through those earbuds. And you see it everywhere. You see people listening to audio with earbuds publicly wherever you go. Is that it seems it is no longer societally acceptable. It's considered almost rude to impose anybody outside of your personal space to a naked speaker. That even if you're even if you're the driver of a car, that uh, if you're the driver and you're the one controlling the radio, the kids in the back seat will get upset because they can't get to watch what they're watching on the on the screen, the the the, yeah. the, the video screen that's set up in the back of the uh, SUV <laughs> for them, and uh, the other people in the car that might have headbuds on, earbuds on rather, listening to their smartphones. So uh, the day of the boombox, the day of uh, uh, going to the beach and playing your radio loud and syncing it up with all the others that that do that. Um, or or walking down the street with a radio, people listening, or or a, even a store playing radio. You don't hear radios that much. You hear music services. That day of getting that extra ear seems to be over. It's also changed the nature of, of programming. Uh, I, I'm sure you've noticed. It's it's no longer you know the tower of power from the top of the mountain to the masses. It's more of one on one. Yeah. I agree, and, and I do miss those days. I think those were exciting days when you could go to the beach and everybody was listening to the same radio station, especially if you were programming it, mm. and you could say to yourself, man, we are we are happening. I remember when I was doing WCOZ in Boston, which was a big success of mine, and at our heyday, you could literally walk down on a nice day in Boston. You could walk down any street, and it was coming out of the windows and the stores, and it was everywhere, and uh, that, that's a feeling that I'm sure is gone. Uh, and I think it speaks to how separated we are in society now. Uh, the, the classic example of that is a family of four, two teenagers, let's say, and a mom and dad sitting at a, at a restaurant table. They're all on their phones separately, not speaking, not communicating at all. Uh, and I think that's a very sad commentary on, on where we are. Yeah, it is. It, uh, it It's interesting how uh, the modern media and the social media, which connects us so uh, on such an amazing level, almost to the point that we're becoming telepathic and we have voices in our heads, on the same level, it's created a sense of isolation for each person. And and that's one of the um, complex issues that we deal with um, as people and as a society going through what I believe is a highly transitional era so what do you, so how does it work now i mean the the business of coming up with a format that is groundbreaking and then turning to the industry the radio industry and you've gotten a lot of uh, write-ups in the music oriented trades uh, this is the first time that talkers is uh, taking a peek at this um and uh, the talk radio world is obsessed with the same issue because uh, talk radio works very well with upper demos. It has a huge yeah. upper demo audience, but um, has trouble sometimes getting upper demo advertising. So one of the perplexing problems facing talk programmers is they they have this natural format for affluent, uh, active, older people who love radio and even grew up listening to AM radio and still know how to use it. And the agencies want younger listeners, so they're trying to figure out ways to program talk, which is natural for older people, to young people. And, uh, and that's been one of the challenges there. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's almost uh, self-defeating, but uh, that's, a, that's a whole other issue. Uh, what do you do now? 
to take this to the marketplace. I don't even know if, there, if this even exists anymore in the radio industry of somebody going into their secret laboratory like you, a, a, an accomplished programmer, and putting together a new format for an obvious vacuum. Uh, how have you been received? And, and is there room for this type of activity in the industry? Well, the second part of your one of your previous questions was uh, the, the second problem uh, getting this to market is the word fear. Uh, I believe that our uh, industry, maybe the whole country, but um, certainly radio is full of fear now. Literally, uh, many of my friends that still have jobs in radio uh, go to work every day thinking they might be fired that day. Uh, and the result of that is that people are afraid to make any changes, to take any chances uh, for the fear that it might fail and, and they'll lose their job. Uh, so that's, that's hampering a, a lot of the creativity, not just with new formats, but with existing formats. You know, I, as a programmer, have a, a lot of difficulty listening, particularly to music radio, because some of, so many of the details are, are, lo- are lost. Uh, there's so much sloppiness. Uh, there's so much narrow-mindedness um, that, uh, t- to me, it's one of the reasons I came up with this idea. You know, I, I gave you earlier in this conversation the statistics that support that there is a huge gap and a huge potential for revenue and ratings with uh, the boomers. But the way I came to this, and that will describe you know the way I'm marketing it, the way I came to this is um, I thought to myself, well, you know, there needs to be someone that rises and takes a chance and comes up with a format for these people that is exclusively for them. You know, backtracking a little bit, you just mentioned that uh, news talk, uh, a lot of the news talk stations are trying to get younger. Well, the same thing has happened with classic rock and classic hits, which used to appeal more to 5572, sort of by accident, but they're both trying to get younger, too, sort of desperately. And I think making a huge mistake going away from what they've always been. Um, but it's opened wide the potential for my format. So the more I thought about this over several months, the more I thought about this potential, and this is going to sound a little egotistical, I thought, who better that's still programming, that's still alive, um, to, to do this format than someone like me that has done all these formats that boomers have enjoyed over the span of their lifetime, uh, and and someone like me that has had success in all of those formats. So that's why I took it upon myself to uh, to be the one that really champions this and, uh, and to go out and market it uh, to the extent that I have. Um, you're asking what the response has been. Here's the uh, overwhelming response. Oh, God, John, it's a great idea. I love this. Let me know when you get someone else on this uh, on this format, because I can't be the first one. But as soon as you get one, we'll be very interested in doing it. That's always um, that's always and, been that's always been one of my gripes about the radio industry that uh, it, it really doesn't seek to be first or break new ground. It is a follow the leader industry. Many are, but radio among um, the um, the arts and the communications media really is notorious for that. Even back uh, in the greatest days of radio's heights, 
it was that way. Yeah. Now it's now it's very very. Um, it's a real impediment to to radio um, remaining pertinent. It's uh, the, the, it, as radio became more corporatized in the age of consolidation, it became far less apt to do what it has always been known in radio circles is part and parcel of the business, and that is risk taking. You've got to take risks in radio to succeed. You can't play it safe for too long. Radio has always, historically, John, it has always separated itself from the rest of the media when it's streetier, when it's grassrootsier, when it's hipper, when it's ahead of the yep. pack, when people can find out on radio what the current feelings and, you know, the word today, meme, what what it is. When we were kids, that's where we got all of our hip culture. Today, uh, talk radio, sports talk radio, which own their cultures. Uh, news talk radio owns politics to a certain degree. Sports radio yep. owns sports to a certain degree. Music radio has given up the ownership of the culture to a great degree. And that... You've got to stay on top of what's happening, and you can't research that. You can't always focus group it. You've got to, you, you don't always know what the next hit's going to be unless you have the ears for it. There used to be, you know, kind of weird characters would work at radio stations, and they were the ones that were plugged into the clubs, into the street, into the kids and the playgrounds, and, you know, all of that stuff. Radio doesn't do that anymore, and it, and it, and it really is self-defeating not to. I, I completely agree with you. I've, I've, I've called it radio, music radio in particular, has hastened their demise mm-hmm. in, several, in several ways. By getting more and more narrow with their playlists. I mean, I know of some popular stations that have playlists that, that, that basically concentrate on oldies or older songs that have playlists of 185 songs that, that, that play the same, let's, let's say, um, Pretty Woman by Roy Orbison. Eight times a day, like it's a current, like a like it's a brand new current. So you have people that are forced to listen to that if they, because there's so few choices. So they're forced to listen to that station by default to some degree, not nearly as long and and loyal as they used to, just to get a little bit of what they like. But the potential to knock a station out like that is just wide open. Mm-hmm. And secondly, the other part of hastening the demise, radio in general has responded to uh, the situation where, uh, after 1996, when Katie the they could buy as many stations as they wanted virtually, they overpaid for those stations to such a degree that they can't even cover the debt service. So they have scaled back, scaled back, scaled back, and instead of doing more to make it more listenable, they've added more and more commercials at lower and lower rates so that they're packed with commercials to such an extent that I, I can't even believe anybody listens to many of those stations. Hmm. Uh, and I, so I think they're getting what they put into it, and they, it kind of reminds me, talking about hastening your demise, it reminds me of the AM-FM battle back in the day when FM started um, rising and, and getting more and more of a competitor to AM. And AM's response was, Oh, we'll play more commercials and make all the money we can and stave this off. Uh, sort of starve them, sort of starve them out. And uh, instead, what they did is just made it more and more listenable for uh, FM stations who were playing six or eight commercials an hour, while AM stations were playing 14, 15, 16 minutes an hour. 
and the same thing is happening now. Let's let's talk about uh, two aspects of your new format that I think are very important. Uh, obviously, the music is extremely important, but. Um, I think that personality and, of course, the the stationality of a format, the culture of a format, are, are very important uh, in terms of establishing an identity and a brand and, and getting loyalty. Would you agree with that? Yes, but very different than before because of exactly what we're talking on right now, the iPhone. Uh, I, I believe that the iPhone has changed the world in many, many ways. Uh, the iPhone offers... A lot of what we used to um, deliver on the radio, uh, so people already have it in their in their hands. And I think a lot of what we used to do is, is superfluous, so it needs to change. Uh, maybe it needs to be better, more interesting, uh, more in-depth, as opposed to, hey, it's 623 and 45 degrees outside, and uh, the latest news is this, and blah, blah, blah. We already have all that uh, on their iPhone. Um so I, I think I think it needs to change, but I would agree with you that the stationality, the personality, is key, and and and, and thus I'm I'm going to really play up the wow factor. Mm-hmm. Let me get into that for a second. What do you mean the by the wow factor? The, what I mean by the wow factor is what we used to have back in in the day when we were all waiting, just salivating for the latest Beatles record or whatever the new artist was in the new song, we've lost that surprise quotient of a song coming on and going, wow, I can't believe they're playing that song. Wow, this is a great song. Um, it's so formula and so predictable that uh, I'm, I'm going to bring back that that moment of wow where people just go, oh man, that's fantastic. I can't believe they're playing that. Um, I think that's, that's going to be a big part of the... Uh, the separation between this format and everything else on the radio. What about the presentation of the music? Um, I, I, I completely understand what you're saying about the wow factor, and you know, because people would say, um, "Oh wow." You know, and you hear a song yep. that you hadn't heard in a while. And I got to tell you, I, I, I completely understand and um, uh, appreciate classic rock. But my biggest problem with current classic rock stations are, one, how many times can you listen to Steve Miller do Jet Airliner? And how many times can you hear Journey sing, uh, p- perform Don't Stop Believing? And even the great Go Your Own Way by Fleetwood Mac. I mean, oh, my gosh. I, I, you know, you know, and, and Boston's uh, first album, you know, f- 40, 50 years later, gets more play than Lady Gaga. It's um, it's pretty it's pretty amazing um, uh, how burned out it could be. So my biggest my biggest complaint with classic rock is the playlist is not big enough. Now I have had in my career times where I've been accused of being too tight. So being a loose playlist or a tight playlist is not like something set in stone. It has to do with circumstances and positioning of what's going on in the market and the times. Uh, it's not like you're a tight or you're a loose if you're smart. Yeah. You, you, you find the balance. And right now, I just think it's way too tight. I think there are so many hits out there in oldies and in classic rock and in classic hits and top 40, whatever that means today, CHR that are never anywhere near the radio only because some consultant somewhere decided to eliminate it because he or she didn't like it. And it just fell into the canon, as they say, of, of history. And now it's no longer considered a hit. But there's no reason why it wouldn't be. Oh, wow. <laughs> so uh, I buy. You, you I, have just. Good. 
you have just absolutely hit it out of the park as far as the description of the amalgam of uh, of, of of music that I put together, which is sort of the best of top forty back in the day, mm-hmm. uh, the best of AOR, the best of classic rock, the best of smooth jazz, and the best of country, and uh, put together in a mix that has never been done before and it has to be done very carefully. But because of the breadth of what I've just described, the playlist, and I'm not going to tell you exactly the length of the playlist, mm-hmm. but it is far larger than any other mass appeal format right now and much larger than anything I've ever done before because I also was, I think, guilty of having extremely tiny playlists, and it works. It works for a while, and it sometimes can get really big numbers instantly. Uh, depending on on the competitive situation, but right now, to stand out, to be in a in a bizarre way, a little bit like progressive rock was in the day. Not that that's what this format is, but to be that different than everything else on the radio is exactly what is going to happen with this format. Right. Sometimes to go the opposite direction. I mean, there's a reason to play two and a half minute records, especially with short term attention spans. But when album rock yeah. start playing seven and a half minute versions of those songs. The listeners start feeling cheated when they were listening to the AM Top 40s, cutting out the uh, Ray Manzarek organ solo in, in, you know, Light My Fire. Or, uh, Perfect analogy. Yeah, it's like, hey, that's not the song. And, it's, and, and one of the problems Top 40 had back in the 70s was that it didn't recognize the fact that album tracks were bigger hits than singles. They were letting the record company A&R departments program their stations as opposed to the, the, the music people in, in the street and, and, and the listeners. That that gave birth to AOR was was that short sightedness, and I know that you 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 worked you were very hip about that when you were programming KHJ uh, and you were doing um, sort of like one of KHJ's last gasps at being pertinent. You did a pretty good job of that. You played some album tracks that one would not have normally heard on Boss Radio. Um, I'll bet that um, I bet you got a lot of pushback on that though from from management. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, I eventually got fired for it, I think. Um, yeah, I played, I intentionally played the album versions of all the hit songs, every single one of them. And because I was up against you and others at KMET and KLOS, which were dominating then, because FM was already taking over, and we were on a poor signaled AM station in KHJ, uh, I, I played things as, as outrageous as Cashmere on, on my top 40 station. Mm. Um, so, but, but it added the hipness, and it staved off the inevitable for at least a couple of years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, and so this is just another brand of pushing the pendulum in a different direction or basically filling a hole. I mean, again, yeah. back, back to the, the days when I was on WNEW-FM and WLIR and KMET, KPRI, a lot of the original seminal AOR stations and progressive rock stations, um, we were targeting, as I mentioned earlier in this discussion, 18 to 24s and then 18 to uh, 34s and then uh, beyond. But but when it was really young, one of the tenets of the format was not just to play the album tracks and not to talk over the beginnings of songs, you know, to respect the music and, and not to engage in too much hype and, and, and sort of talk on a certain level culturally. But one of the tenets of the format was to get young people to listen. You have to talk to them like they're intelligent, as opposed to 
everything youth-oriented being stupid or lowest common denominator or profane or whatever. I mean, there's, there's many ways of getting many people. But I think today, I think today, uh, one of the ways to get the younger generation, whether it's in talk radio or music radio, we're talking younger now, is to talk to them like they're smart as opposed to they're stupid. And uh, I think that there's a giant uh, audience out there that's not being served that I would categorize as simply being intelligent. (laughs) Young people who are intelligent, they also are not getting served. Uh, Young people are portrayed as as dumb for the most part. Uh, So this... Go ahead. Early on, um, in Top 40, even back in the Top 40 days, I called it insulting the intelligence of the of the listener, mm-hmm. uh, and I pr- probably borrowed that from people like you that were doing AOR so successfully. So much to the chagrin of the of the jocks, the disc jockeys, I stopped allowing them to talk talk over the front of the song, which is a lot of fun. And disc jockeys love to talk over the front of songs, but I learned early on that listeners don't like it because some of the best parts of songs are those intros. Yeah, well, listeners don't care if you can hit the post. Although I have to tell you, I still I still go to YouTube and I listen to old Dan Ingram tapes from WABC because I love the artistry of the radio format. So, so when you hear a practitioner do it, it's like really cool. But I never heard a listener ever say, "Wow, did you hear he talked up to the post?" No, that's strictly an inside baseball thing. Yeah, and and I have to be honest. You know, I grew up with that era of Top Forty. So when I'm listening to the radio and a certain song comes on. I'll talk it up in the in the car because it's so much fun. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> but that's a disc jockey thing. It's not a listener thing. It's and, so and true. Then, then to con- and then to continue what you're saying, when I, when I used to go to schools and talk to kids, uh, back in my top 40 days, actually here in Phoenix, at Crux and Chris, I would talk about the extremes of people not talking like real people. So I would, I would give them examples, and it always got a big laugh. I'd say, you know, some of the talk... Top forty people. Top forty people go. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. How are you doing? You know, and not not anything like a real person. And the extreme, the stereotypical extreme of the progressive person was, <laughs> Hey, how you doing, buddy? Uh, you know. So, and I said, Why? Why can't we just talk like real people? And, <laughs> and that's that was my philosophy in every format I did. That's so funny. <laughs> it took me a long time <laughs> to overcome that. <laughs> you know, we, yeah. we used to, we were so heavy back in the old days. We would talk like this. Oh, yeah. yeah. You, know, you know, and, uh, you know, we, we, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, it, so, so both sides were full of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they were, they were very, very, uh, Pretentious. We used to call the top forty jocks pukers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. oh yeah, hey, I, I hey, use the same term. Yeah. So, uh, but but I I, I want to just finish up one line of my questioning about your format, and I was talking about personality. So uh, the music will play a major role, and um, we I gather it's going to have um, pro- probably everything from Frank Sinatra to Led Zeppelin on it, and uh, maybe uh, some Garth Brooks and uh, that wonderful '90s era of country music that sounded like it would have been AOR had AOR continued to make new music. Uh, it would have been like some of those bands. I loved Mary Chapin Carpenter and her band back in the 90s. And a lot of the female country singers had real rockin' bands behind them. Some of the groups sounded very much like they would have fit in at WNEW or KMET. So, uh, and, then, and, then, and then just to interject quickly, because I agree with you 100,000%, is uh, 
uh, you might hear Coldplay too, because that that would fit in with exactly what you're describing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so I, um, I I get yeah, it. I I think it's great. But yeah. what about what, but what about the personality aspect? First of all, uh, there aren't a lot of personalities out there coming up through the ranks. Uh, uh, major companies that are smothered in debt, as you have described, uh, are not looking to pay uh, high-priced DJs. Um, what role and, and and the presentation of music? The the here is that was <laughs> here's what you just heard. Here's what you're about to hear. Here's why what you're about to hear is good. <laughs> here's why you're lucky to listen. Here's what you should listen for. Stick around. Don't go away. Um, what what role will that play in your new format? Very simplified, and and uh, I, I'm not going to insult the intelligence by trying to tell them that uh, that's the Beatles come together. You know, um, they they're going to know a lot of their song songs, if not almost every one of them already. There's going to be a new technology ways. They do want to find out exactly uh, what has been played or is playing, but as far as on the radio, we're not going to do a lot of that. Except when you get on another great point. I'm going to call these uh, announcers' personalities storytellers. So they're, they're going to be able to, uh, and there's a person like this in every market, by the way, probably currently unemployed, hmm. that, that has a history in the market, that uh, really knows their chops, that knows the music, has been around, loves this particular brand of music we're talking about, and is able to, in fairly brief form, tell the history of an artist, tell the history of a song, much of which is, is so rich and so interesting to the listener that it dovetails perfectly with a, with a highly eclectic mix of music. And this, this is another description that kind of blows people's mind, minds. It is eclectic and yet extremely mass appeal. And people think, well, they can't be the same thing. Yeah, it can. It can be a very eclectic and very mass appeal thing. And the great analogy is top 40 in the 60s and early 70s, where you heard Frank Sinatra... The Supremes, Jimi Hendrix, Cream, The Beatles, all on the same radio station. And uh, the culture understood that. A lot of that came from the Ed Sullivan show, which influenced uh, that eclecticness. There are times for eclecticness. There are times for narrow casting. But even eclecticness is a narrow casting form because there are a lot of people out there, enough to make a radio station survive. You don't have to have a 60 share. You could do very nicely with a five. I think there are enough people out there that would like what you're talking about to give a station a very strong five share and maybe more and be competitive in the top five position in six plus. If only the agencies were interested in buying six plus and if only radio station companies were interested in going beyond the ratings and beyond the agencies to sell qualitatively to sell different markets, to educate the agencies and the advertisers, and to get out there and work harder. Because that's what it takes. It, it takes a lot of work. Yeah. yeah. You have, um, you, you're quite amazing, actually. You, you keep setting up uh, points for me because you really do get this uh, hole in the marketplace. I've, I've actually, you know, I've, I'm pretty good at math. And, you know, I, I was one of the early people that did research in radio, much to the chagrin of a lot of people, back in 1971, 1970. Um, I was at the first station that actually did call-out research. My ex-wife did the very first call-out call. Um, so, so I've been kind of known as Mr. Research. This format will kind of destroy all that because I'm going against my own philosophies in many ways. 
But I've actually done the math, and in nearly every market in the United States, by dominating almost exclusively 55 to 72, because there's so few uh, formats that are even touching on that demo, you can be number one, six plus or 12 plus in almost every market in the country. And I think, even though nobody sells six plus or 12 plus, by the fact that you're on the top of that list that comes out and everybody sees, that's going to garner so much attention from everybody in the business and agencies that I think that's going to open up a whole uh, a whole panacea of potential. I'm going to leave you with one thought, and I'd like your reaction, although uh, it probably will be, oh, wow. Um, you mentioned a moment ago that uh, you once were one of the big researchers and now you've gone against your philosophy. you got to remember you're older and wiser now. I've always believed that one man's experience, intuition, and gut is another man's research. And uh, you really are still doing research. It's researching the experience and the knowledge that you're taking back into the playing field of this industry. And uh, no matter what happens, I found this conversation to be extremely enlightening, almost cathartic. And uh, I wish you a lot of luck, John. Thank you. This this has been really fun for me because it's... uh kind of underlined and reinforce everything that I'm trying to do. And there you have it. A conversation with legendary music radio format architect and programmer, John Sebastian. To learn more about John Sebastian and his Wow Factor radio format, visit wowfactorradio.com. He can also be reached by email, johnsebvoice at gmail.com. Thank you for downloading this program from Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, and the Podcast One app. And for following our Tuesday tweets announcing the names of our weekly guests. To sign up, it's at MH Interview. I can be reached directly via email at michaelatalkers.com. If you find this show to be of interest and value, please subscribe to it as well as giving it a positive five-star review on Apple Podcasts. The Michael Harrison Interview. Thank you for listening. The Michael Harrison Interview is a presentation of Podcast One produced in association with Talkers Magazine and Good Phone Communications. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved.